Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Curtis Sittenfeld is the author of Romantic Comedy, a novel. And I have to say, Curtis was on my list of like wish list when I started this podcast five years ago. And I am just so excited. I got to interview her and she is just as lovely and delightful as I expected. And I was just really happy about the whole thing. So enjoy. Curtis Sittenfeld is the New York Times bestselling author of six novels, including Rodham, Eligible, Prep, American Wife, and Sisterland, as well as the collection You Think It, I'll Say It. Her novels have been translated into 30 languages. In addition, her short stories have appeared in The New Yorker, The Washington Post Magazine, Esquire, and The Best American Short Stories, for which she has also been the guest editor. Her nonfiction has appeared in The New York Times, The Atlantic, Time, and Vanity Fair, and on public radio's This American Life. Her seventh novel, Romantic Comedy, is out now. 
Welcome, Curtis. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Romantic Comedy, your latest novel. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Okay. Romantic comedy. So fun. I inhaled it basically in one sitting. I never knew how much I wanted to know about a place like Saturday Night Live until I started learning more and then could not get enough. So why don't you start by just telling listeners a little bit about the inspiration for the book and kind of what it's about. Or I can summarize if you don't feel like answering. <laughs> um, I can answer. So my family started watching a lot of Saturday Night Live during the pandemic. And I thought to myself, someone should write a screenplay for a romantic comedy where a writer for a show, a female writer for a show like SNL, writes about the phenomenon of talented but ordinary looking men from the show dating super gorgeous super talented super famous female celebrities and how the dating up thing happens for men but not for women and then there'll be a host and she you know like maybe this theory is disproven and then a few months passed and I thought oh maybe that screenplay that like someone should write maybe that should be a novel and maybe that someone should be me and and then I wrote it <laughs> I'm always like someone should do this someone should do that I'm like well who who is the someone half the time right <laughs> I know I usually I think it about changing rolls of toilet paper I think someone should change that roll of toilet paper and then I think oh actually I yeah. should <laughs> replace the empty roll and then but this time it was more fun <laughs> novels as compared to toilet paper rolls. Yeah. yeah, yeah for the first yeah. time. Here we go. <laughs> and I know you mentioned in your acknowledgments that you were watching so much Saturday Night Live. So have you been a fan forever? And do you remember watching it as a kid? Like, when did you start? Um, yes and yes. So in the book, the main character, Sally, tells her love interest, Noah, that she and the fictional show, The Night Owls, are the same age. And they were both born in 1981. And in real life, SNL and I were both born in 1975. So obviously I did not start watching it as a baby. <laughs> I think I was like 10 and my friend Annie's older brothers introduced me. And it was like the kind of era of like Dana Carvey church lady type thing where, and I, I think when you're that age, you often don't even know exactly what the joke or the punchline is, or you don't know the original thing it's mocking, but you're like, oh, this is so fun and interesting. And, you know, I want to know more. And so, you know, I watched off and on, like I watched in high school and college when I had kids, I, I didn't really watch. I think I sort of tuned in for like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph. And then I've definitely pretty comprehensively watched at least the last five years. Like I, I don't watch it on Saturday night. My family watches it at like 7 p.m. on Sunday night. <laughs> that is smart. I know now it's like, you don't have to stay up. It used to be, I know, you know, I was always out or I was out in college. And of course, it, you know, there we would catch the end. And now I'm like, oh, I can't stay up for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Not at all. But it's, it's also interesting because so many people, especially I think people who are in their twenties now, or people who live in other countries, might have seen viral sketches, but they actually haven't seen it in its entirety. And it has such a fixed structure that there is something, I think there's something really pleasing where you're like, oh, it's Weekend Update. Oh, it's the first musical act. It's the second musical act. And I like it in its entirety. Totally. And the predictability of it all. It's so yeah. So much yeah, changes, and yet we can go back to something. Yeah, exactly. It's like the world changes, the focus of the sketches changes, 
the sketches themselves, because they're live, there is always unpredictability. And then that intersects with the consistency of the structure in this way that I think is like really satisfying. Totally. So tell me about the research needed. So you decided someone should write this book, then you realized that someone should be you. And then what happened? So actually doing the research made me realize that like, I feel like this is very immodest to say that writing this book was a great idea because it was it was so fun to do the research. Like I like doing research for fiction anyway, but it was especially because, you know, I started writing this in the summer of 2021 and I actually set aside a sort of more dark, serious book. And to live in this world where it was like work for me to listen to comedians on podcasts interview one another. There's tons of, you know, comedian, po- whether it's like Mark Marin, WTF, or like Mike Berbiglia, or there's like Fly on the Wall, which is actually Dana Carvey and David Spade interviewing tons of people from SNL. I read memoirs by people who've, you know, current and former cast members. There's like a SNL YouTube, almost like digital shorts that describe the way the different departments work, like the makeup department or wardrobe. So it was just like, it was a total joy to exist in that world. And it was, it was so much fun and such a good kind of counterbalance to the pandemic. And then did you get to go watch in person? Like how many, and how many times did you go? So, okay. I'm just well, curious. This is like not even related to the book. I'm just like, tell me about this experience. No, no, no. Actually, well, it's funny because a few people have been like, oh, did you work for SNL? And I'm so flattered. I'm like in my dreams. I've like, you know, barely been in the studio once. So I actually, I was almost finished writing and I visited, I, I went to a dress rehearsal, which is right before the live show. And it's actually a little longer because they end up cutting a few sketches. And I, I was in like full research nerd mode. I was by myself. I had, I like got the ticket at the last minute I went, I live in Minneapolis. I like flew by myself for 17 hours to New York oh and gosh. like went through. So it, it was, and it was, I was kind of like, also like a little nervous, like, did I get anything wrong? Like it, it wasn't, I, I like, I think a lot of people probably go and it's like, you have some drinks with your friends. You go, you know, did it, have you ever been? I um, haven't. And I've always yeah. wanted to. And I had some friends who like knew someone and they used to go to the after parties a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's so funny too. Cause I feel like I know people who've been to after parties, but I, like, I have not been within like, you know, 10 miles of an yeah. after party. <laughs> I'm more likely to be awake the next day when the after party is starting. Like, oh my God. I feel like if I'm awake during an after party, it's like I'm lying in my bed, having woken up after being asleep for like five hours, having like an anxiety attack. Like it's not, I'm, not, I'm not at an yeah. after party. Yeah. This is when I'm up like reading because I'm so like stressed out. I can't sleep. Yeah. Again. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. not the party. Not the partying. <laughs> That's so awesome. So we talk about the whole, what it was, Danny, not Danny Meyer, Danny. Oh, Danny Horst. Danny sorry, Horst. Danny Horst, Danny Horst effect. And when you really like delved into it, this whole notion of sort of dating up attraction wise and between men and women or vice versa or whatever, like after you spent a lot of time on that, where did you come out on it in general? Well, so everyone knows what I'm talking about. Like, like you know, obviously it's a real phenomenon at SNL where like, again, these, these people are very talented. Colin Jost is married to Scarlett Johansson. Colin Jost is 
super smart, super talented. I think he's very attractive. Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson is like a household name. I mean, she's a, a true movie star. Or, of course, Pete Davidson, you know, whether it's Ariana Grande or Kim Kardashian, or obviously he's dated many people that he did not meet directly through SNL. So there is this phenomenon of you, you essentially, it's extraordinarily unusual to see a woman dating a very attractive male celebrity unless the woman herself looks like a model no matter what her profession is. I mean, I think for me, like the weird thing about spending so much of my professional kind of energy analyzing this was that the conclusion I came to, like I actually thought, okay, if I were Scarlett Johansson, I would I would totally want to be married to Colin Jost. Or like if I were Kim Kardashian, like, yeah, sure. Why, why wouldn't I want to date Pete Davidson? It's actually kind of the depressing part is that it doesn't work in the opposite direction. It's not it's not that it's weird that it works one way. It's that it's a bummer that it doesn't work the other way. The exception that isn't an exception that proves the rule is kind of Keanu Reeves, who dates this woman, Alexandra Grant, who appears to have naturally like whitish gray hair, which makes people just like lose their shit. I don't, I don't know. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? We are now. Yeah, no, yeah, we are, we are. <laughs> it makes people lose their minds. Okay. She's like very attractive, very successful, you know, like has a PhD, is an accomplished artist. I think is like six to eight years younger than he is. So it's like, it's so weird that if people are like, She's almost like a normal woman. It's like, mm, depends on your definition of normal. <laughs> but I was like, this is cause for celebration. She doesn't dye her hair. So it just, I mean, again, I, you can hardly think of of examples of like women very visibly dating. Up. But I, but again, I, it also, I mean, it's also a little delicate to talk about because I, I mean, I don't, I would never, I don't think I would ever by name insult someone's appearance well i, I hope i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't on the record no anyway but so, so but it is a weird so it's like you know or like people you know there are some examples where people will kind of say like oh she's his beard or whatever but we don't need to go down that path. no okay we'll stop well i'll pivot, I'll pivot the conversation before you get in trouble here <laughs> oh my goodness so i was surprised to find a whole epistolary section in the middle of the book tell me about that decision so it's funny. I when I conceived of this novel, like and again, I was like, I wanted to be short and fun and fizzy and you know, kind of like like doubly fun. Like I wanted to be the fun of romance and falling in love and the fun of SNL and like mash those up. And I thought it's going to be ninety pages. It's ultimately three hundred pages. But I very clearly thought like I want the characters to kind of meet and have a connection and then things kind of go off the rails and then they email each other and get to know each other in this totally different way. And it was super fun to me. And I think both my American editor and my British editor who are incredibly like smart and kind and supportive, they were both a little like, really like an all, an all email section, like, huh, that's, that's interesting. And I do think that that a few people are sort of skeptical. And then some people are skeptical and are like, man, like I, I, that was my least favorite section. But a lot of people are like, oh, that was actually my favorite because you kind of get this direct window into the characters that's not even, I mean, of course it's really filtered by me, the writer, but it doesn't feel like it. Like it's not 
them in a scene. It's them speaking for themselves. And I also thought it was fun that the reader has to kind of make the same decisions that the characters make. Like, was that a flirty comment or not a flirty comment? Or, you know, they're not interacting, so they don't have any additional information. I loved that section. I'll just say that. Thank you. I mean, I guess I, could, I I don't know that I would feel comfortable saying I didn't, but I happen to love it, which is why I brought it up. I love like even whole books. Like, have you read Love and Saffron by Kim Fay? It's like all letters. It's all, no. no What's it's, it, what year is it from? Uh, it was published in the last two years, maybe last year, two years ago. Oh, I'll definitely um, it, look it up. I mean, it's not related to your book at all, but it's all letters back and forth and it takes place further back in time, but I don't know. I mean, just in recent times, there are, I feel like there are less and less letters or emails or yeah. that form is sort of dying down as yeah. like communication yeah. is so rampant. It's like we all yeah. read emails all day. Why well, put in a book? Yeah. But, yeah. but I still yeah. think it's such a, yeah, such an immediacy to it. There's such an immediacy to it. And, yeah. um, and it's hard not to stop reading other people's emails. I mean, that's what's so delicious about it, right? It's like, oh, wait, I get to read all of this? Yeah, yeah you're yes. allowed, You're supposed to. Not only are you like allowed to, but like, yeah, you, you have to to get to the next section. Yeah. I know, you know, now that we're out of the pandemic or whatever you want to call this phase of life, going back into it through the letters and what they were going through, you know, sometimes people are going back before the pandemic and like, oh no, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to set it before. And like, you've chosen to set it right during the middle and that that's what kept them apart and all this. I hope I'm not giving, I mean, that's not giving anything away. No, 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 no. And people know it's like not a spoiler that the pandemic happened, but it happened in your book. Was that the natural way to separate them or like, was it a good device? Just tell me about that decision as I ramp. I think partly, I mean, I'm sure you'll have this conversation over and over with so many writers in the years to come. Like it's, it's sort of like the pandemic happened. It's a part of reality. If you write realistic fiction set in 2020 or after you either very deliberately like are writing a kind of parallel universe, or you have to kind of acknowledge it somehow. And I think that different writers will make different choices about, about what to do. But partly I think I included it because of when I was writing. So I started it in 2021. I mean, I could have set the whole book before from 2014 to 2018, but I think there were two things. One, I do think it made people kind of reevaluate their priorities in some cases. And I mean, the, the, pandemic relationship is a real thing. Like there are definitely people who I think got together, you know, whether it was long distance or local or like, I've I've been thinking of you for years or whatever. And then I think also just like the circumstances of my characters lives changed in this way that even though the pandemic was this terrible thing, they've, they sort of find each other again in a way I don't think they would have otherwise. Love it. You also included, and I know you mentioned you had lost a parent and there's parent loss in this book. And even the relationship between a step-parent when your uniting force is no longer there. And I feel like you did such a good job with that too, because there is this, I have a stepfather and a stepmother and, you know, my love for them is so like, usually they come on the phone after, you know, like it's always yeah, the, linchpin yeah. is the other person. So what happens when the supporting beam of the relationship gets sort of knocked away. It was such an interesting exploration of that particular relationship. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously like, like the pandemic is really painful. And I think a lot of comedy comes from pain, like a lot of comedians, you know, I think they're, they're so funny. And I think they have 
you know, sort of pain in their upbringing, or maybe they have mental health challenges or something like it feels very not unusual. And so even though this is, I think, essentially a light, fun story. It does acknowledge that the pandemic is exists. It does acknowledge that. I mean, it's almost like how can anyone be an adult and not have been through like painful experiences? And I think the book does acknowledge that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I, I was posting something the other day and I was like, who has not had something bad happen by like, I'm 40, I'm a year younger or something, but who hasn't had something bad happen by now? Right. It's oh, like, yeah, it's, yeah. This is yeah, life. So yeah, we might as well yeah. just sort of face up to it. But yeah, you yeah. said that you put aside a darker other novel. Are you going back to it? And tell me about that one. Well, I'm trying to figure it out. So, I mean, what, what really happened was I, there was this book that I think I probably started writing in the summer of 2020 and, and, but my book Rodham, which is this, you know, all alternate retelling of, of Hillary Clinton's life had come out in April, 2020. And I felt actually maybe May anyway, I, I felt like very proud of it. And I felt like I had like, you know, put a lot of myself into it. And I also kind of felt like I was ready to pivot. Like, so people, if I was having a conversation like this, people would say, what are you going to do next? And I would say, I want to write a book that's short and fun. And I worked on a book and then was like, for like eight months, was like, this is not short and also not fun. <laughs> I mean, I do, I think it's interesting and has sort of elements of like anthropology. And, and so I'm actually trying to decide now if I should go back to it. But I have this theory that if you're going to kind of, go away from your own incomplete writing project, like story or novel or whatever, for like, whether it's for like days or weeks or months, it's it's easiest to re-enter the cleanest it is when you re-enter. So if you like, like, it's almost like better to spend a few days polishing it. So it's not this kind of like impenetrable jungle of like markups and whatever. And I did not do that with that. <laughs> so, so it would be, I almost would, would maybe start over and just borrow the original plot or something. But I am, I'm, I mean, I'm so lucky that I get to like decide 
the fictional world I live in. And I, I want to be careful what I choose. Of course. Wow. How long does he, like, how long did this book take? And what does it look like when you're writing? Like, where do you write? Like, yeah. Um, in this, in this like really super plain, plain, tiny office. Yes, I do. I, so actually this book took me about a year, a little, little bit less. The The funny thing is because of COVID, it was, I, I like started it right around the time. Do you remember when like, it seemed like we'll get vaccines and then we'll be protected. And then there was like, in the summer of 2021, it was like, you know, on Cape Cod, like the, the, all, there were all these breakthrough yes. infections and pr- rates were particularly high where I live. And I didn't travel for like, and didn't socialize very much for like almost an entire year. Like I, I once went to visit my mom, but actually an interesting part of that is like under normal circumstances. I mean, it's, I feel like all our lives are so like nitty gritty logistics, but like under normal circumstances, if I were to go you know, visit a university and like talk about my book, it would be like, I would travel there and then I'd be there and then I'd travel home and then I would like have all my dirty laundry or whatever. And so I, and I'm just like kind of, and it's nice to be around other humans, but I'm interrupting myself. And so I was the most focused, like I didn't interrupt myself to travel. So I was writing almost every day and I didn't interrupt myself, which I also sometimes do. I like you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just write a quick short story or something because I, I think I get bored with my novel. But I think, <laughs> I think because the sub, the subject of this novel was so fun and it was almost like going to SNL every day that I was like, oh, I want to go back to that. That's so great. So you could just like powered your way through it. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a pleasure, and it always, it always sort of welcomed me back. Like I don't think I ever had the experience of like. Like, oh my God, who made this huge mess? Like, and how do I get back inside it? I love that. Did you ever feel after the success of prep, like all this pressure to do it again, or that it was like only gonna happen once? Or like, did you ever feel any of that? You know, um, I did I did wonder if I would only have a very successful book once. So, you know, prep came out in 2005, and especially in the after my second book came out, which some people don't even know exists, but it's called The Man of My Dreams. I did still only have one very successful <laughs> book. And then I, my third book was American Wife. And that that was like essentially successful. Again, it's, this is an interesting question that there's like a lot of ways to answer. On the one hand, like like I read my reviews, you know, I'm not like I won't pretend that I don't I don't care what anyone thinks of my writing, except for me. Like I do care. And like I do, you know, there's some criticism that really stings. And then there's some that, you know, I don't care. I actually don't care about it. Depends kind of on the source. But one thing is that actually I've been extraordinarily privileged in the sense that my books have always gotten attention, but they've always gotten mixed reviews. It's not like this unanimous love fest. And I've always been like a writer during the time that people can kind of seek you out online and say super nasty things. Or if you have bad willpower, which I sometimes do, you can seek out the nasty things that people are saying about you. So it's never felt like this pure love fest. Like, it's not like I like, you know, won the Pulitzer or something when I was 30 or, or at any other point. So like, even though I don't know if other people realize how, like I'll always get a few 
scathingly bad reviews that it just feels like someone was like licking their chops, like having the best time. And, and sometimes it's like a talented writer who uses their writing talent to like mock me. But also I just think like being a writer, you're never, it's kind of a quiet identity to have. Like if I were like a fourth tier reality show contestant or whatever, I would have so much more recognition than, than I have as a writer. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think, I think what you're asking is like, a, it's like, I could have like many sessions of therapy about this, but I, I think I'm able to kind of keep it in perspective overall. Do you like, see, I feel like it's so upside down that writers are not identified on the street and photographed pumping gas and doing stuff. Ah! No, seriously, like in my dream world, that's what it would be because I care so much more about authors than I do about reality show. To, well, some reality show people are great. All to say, right, I right, feel like right, it's all right. skewed. But then no, some people I do say not, that maybe... I do. Maybe writers don't want that attention. Oh, no, no, no. I would not want that. I would not, not want to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, because I think that, especially if you're a writer, you're probably, you probably want to be observing other people. You don't want other people to be observing you. So no, I don't, I don't wish that I had people approach. I mean, people like probably like maybe three times a year, someone will approach me and and say like, oh, are you Curtis or whatever. But, but actually the funny thing is much more often I'll like meet someone and then like, you know, like say I meet my neighbor's friend or something. And then six months later, they'll be like, oh, did you write prep? Like I read that or something. So it's like, they almost you know, know my book, but don't know me or something. And I'm actually like, that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm shocked actually that that would only happen to you three times a year. But I don't know, for me, I've read your books since I started reading you. I, it's been almost 20 years of reading you, you know, and you don't, oh. you don't know the people you're reading, but in your head, you're like, oh, well, yeah. Curtis Sittenfeld, here's another book. Of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? Really and truly, I think that, and it took a while for this to happen. I think that that's like the nicest part of being a writer where I've now, because my first book came out 18 years ago, I now will have people who will be like, I read Prep in College. And then, you know, maybe I read like Sisterland when I was in labor or something. And then, and then I read Eligible when my mom was in the hospital or whatever. And it's so touching to feel like, oh my God, we've grown up together, you know, or like people who read prep at the age of, you know, 13 are now like these awesome, you know, like it'll be like a human rights lawyer or like yeah. a social worker or something like, so I, it, it feels like this incredible kind of privileged to go through life with people over a period of years, even though we don't necessarily know each other directly. Yeah, it's amazing. Really awesome. Are there writers that you really admire or somebody who like, like me to you reading you for almost 20 years, you're, you're like, oh, whatever this person puts out, like, I'll read this next. Well, I've always, my favorite writer since high school has been Alice Monroe. And I, and I also, like, I don't reread very much, including, honestly, I don't reread that much of her or like that often, but I do sometimes reread one of her stories. And now, like, like if she was writing about women in their forties and I read it when I was 19, I do feel like now I'll think like, oh my God. And I thought it was insightful then, but now yeah. I'm blown away. <laughs> and then is this book on your radar? I just read this book and I was like, 
holy shit, this person is such a genius. Okay, so her name is, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I need to learn. It's Cecilia Rabis or Rabis or Rabis, R-A-B-E-S-S. Called, right, is it called Everything's Fine? Or is fine. It called, have you, yes. It's called I have it. Fine. I haven't read have it you, yet. I'm oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. And do you, do you know what it's about? I did at one point because I looked I, and I was like, I have to interview her, but now I can't remember. Yeah, you have to interview her. So it's a first novel. It's about a black woman and a white man who went to college together and then worked together at Goldman Sachs and become close, which you could interpret okay. as you wish. Um, and he's politically conservative. She's like much more progressive. It starts in, I think, 2008 and goes to like 2016. It is so, so good. And the woman, Cecilia Rabas, or I, I'll find out after this how to pronounce her name, but worked in real life at Goldman Sachs and now works at Google. And I was like, how can someone be so good at so many things? Like if you, if you were like, I'll pay you $5 million. I, I don't think I could work at Goldman. I, like I like, wouldn't be capable or like, you know, work at Google. I don't think I could do anything besides I could write email. <laughs> I, could, I could do predictive. I could be someone else's like predictive, you know, whatever autofill. So that book is coming out in June. I, I give it like an a plus plus like it was like it was one of those books where I kind of felt like emotionally worked up even when I wasn't reading it which is like wow. oh my god yeah yeah oh that's gosh. rare like, I'm gonna like bump it up the queue now after yeah this. yeah you did should. you tell her it's, how much you love it yeah so I so it's it's so funny okay. because I tweeted like I looked her up I'm not on Instagram but I'm on Twitter and I looked her up and didn't find her on Twitter. And then I just like tweeted about, and the other thing was, I, I swear that the book, I mean, I'm sure that you get your like, you know, books are like pouring down in your head. Like I, I think that I got the book with, without a letter, like it just, it, it was like from the heavens or something. <laughs> and I kind of impulsively took it on a plane and, and I was, cause you know, like, and sometimes, sometimes when you do that, you like it, sometimes you don't. And then I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Anyway, so I tweeted about liking it and then she reached out to me, but it was also kind of fun to be like, to like know nothing about her except like this tiny bio on the back and then be like, oh my God, like, yeah. It's so exciting when like, when, especially when someone's, when there's this voice that you sort of fall in love with and then you're like, oh, like, and this person, this is the beginning. Yes. That's the best feeling when you can't yeah. put it down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. I will um, yeah. uh, dig into that. I will ignore the stack here. <laughs> I know. I mean, there's always so. Well, actually, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, this this is not a post. Oh my gosh! Thing. How it's did you get a hedge? How um, did you even get that? I did an event with Jane a couple of years ago, and she sent it, and I think it sounds excellent. I have not read it, but oh my it's, gosh, it's, it's mine. I know. That's How so many, exciting. I, I feel know. like I just saw like my favorite stuffed animal, like on your bed or something. <laughs> it's like your little gnome. Like, yeah, totally. I know. I'm super excited. I think, yeah, she was, I really liked when I, I hadn't met Jane and, and before we did the event together, but she was lovely and I was so happy to get the book. <laughs> oh, it's good. I'm really, it's really good. I hope you love it. I, I hope I'm planning to. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Well, I could talk to you all day, but I better end the episode. Um, <laughs> thank, thank you so much. This yeah. So much fun. My pleasure. Next time I'll wear my, um, we'll, we'll match. We'll, we'll coordinate. coordinate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for the time and everything. Right. Okay. Thank you for having me. Okay. Right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 